Breaking It Down with Frank McKay. This is 1039 LI News Radio. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here. So much more importantly, uh, Robert Berry, uh, just a wonderful musician, guitarist, songwriter, and, and so much else, a multi instrumentalist. And you know his work from Hush and Three and uh, the Greg Kane Band. We, we've had Greg Kane on, on the show a couple of times and and uh, uh, thrilled to see he's on uh, on uh, the radar screen there. And of course, he worked with the the late great Keith Emerson and and of course, Paul Palmer and Three. Uh, Robert Berry, welcome. Hey Frank, I'm glad to be here, man. What's the weather like there right now? Cold, uh, probably much colder than you got it there. How cold are you there? You're on the West Coast. Oh, my. Oh, it's probably well, way, way, way down like 52 degrees or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you poor guy. You know, I'm at, I, as we're recording this, people may be hearing it at a different time, but I'm at like 16 degrees or, or, or 20 degrees, I think it is. But uh, uh, listen, it's not too bad uh-huh. inside. I got to say that. Uh, it, where did it all yeah, start it for is. you? Where did you where did you grow up on, on the West Coast? Yeah, I actually grew up right where I'm at, talking to you right now. In it's, it's San Jose, California, but I like to call it Silicon Valley because that's what it's referred to around the world. And crazy enough, one mile from me one way is eBay, where it started, the headquarters. One mile the other way is Netflix, where it started, the headquarters. Two miles away is where Apple started, but it's the big uh, spaceship they built almost all out of glass, you know, the big yeah, donut, yeah. Right. the whole community. That's two miles away from me. I mean, I'm right in the epicenter of what is Silicon Valley here. I, and how do you think that has influenced you? I mean, you're you're into the tech stuff, right? You're, you know, again, you're very musical. I don't want to, uh, I, I don't want to mix it up. Uh, and and you uh, and and you know, traditional people enjoy you, but I think people that enjoy technology realize you get it. And uh, I, I mean, that was always my assumption. This is the first time we're speaking. Are you a techno guy? Yeah. You know, I use all that stuff as tools, but like some of the real dedicated guys are in a tech. They could probably build the machine if they want to. Yeah. It's more, you know, the old-fashioned tape recorders. You put the channel in record, you push record and play, and it recorded. That's the point that I get with all the technology. I, yeah. I figure out how to use it and how to make it a musical instrument or e- even Pro Tools, which I'm really good at. You know, I mean, that's what I record on now. I I have to keep that creative side of my brain flowing. So I always have to learn it enough where it's sort of second nature. So I, I, I'm not really a, a, a tech guy uh, when it comes down to it. But when I'm learning it, boy, I tell you, music today is technology deep, right? It really is. But we want to keep it real. So again, it comes down to creativity and what you do with the stuff that really matters to me. Yeah. How long did it take you to, to, to decide, you know, look, an- analog is analog, but, um, you know, pro tools is, is where the future is. How soon did you get into either pro tools or something like it? You know, pro tools was started right here, of course, in Silicon Valley, yeah. you know, a couple of guys in a house, I can remember going to like an apartment, going there and seeing this stuff, and it just sounded terrible to me that they were onto something. They knew it. It sounded super digital and, and grainy and harsh, you know. And I said, oh, I'll never do that. I had analog tape with something called Dolby SR, which is almost like recording digital 
onto analog tape. So it was fantastic. Then about the time, this is going to sound kind of weird, but about the time Britney Spears was big, I'm starting to hear all this Max Martin stuff. Uh, the guy that wrote and produced the tracks are going, wow, you know, they finally have kind of a tonal quality to Pro Tools. It's pretty good for the, uh, not really for the rock stuff, but the pop stuff. And I produce a lot of different people. So I bought a whole system and built another room out of my studio. And I got some kid to run it. It was all into it. So there you go. You know, um, I want to make sure that people come through and want that sound. We can do it. And of course, you know, in his 20s, he was a whiz kid. And I go back and kind of watch him do this stuff. I still thought, oh, gee, this doesn't sound good. But then all of a sudden, they changed this HD format, and it started to sound analog. At that point, I kept my tool shape, but I changed my whole big room into Pro Tools. And that was only, I don't know, 12 years ago, 15 years ago, they really got the sound down. So it hasn't been that long, you know, it, although I've been digital probably for, for 20 years. It sounds like a long time now. I <laughs> look back. Yeah, right. <laughs> Well, but yeah, no, I mean, you're, you're right on, on the cusp, right as they were, uh, they were getting uh, better and better. I, you know, I know a lot of people that just, uh, just stayed, I guess, because of the romance of, uh, you know, having a studer, uh, you know, having a, uh, you know, some type yeah. of, uh, you know, old, older, uh, style thing. What, what did you, and actually before you, uh, continue, let me remind folks that are just tuning in now, uh, coming in a little late or turning on their radio a little late, Robert Berry is our very special guest Frank McKay here with a really a fantastic uh, musician and uh, he's just he's got a resume a mile long uh, very talented guitarist bassist uh, keyboardist uh, drums right you play a little drums too yeah I play drums you know I built my business on that really I started doing that very young in my mom and dad's garage trying to copy you know I my dad had Vox guitars and amps which is what the Beatles used. And even though I was just a little guy when he had those, it left an impression on me. And I kind of always stayed a Beatles fan sound-wise because they had Vox. Right? So I used to try to figure out how to copy their sound on my four-track recorder in the, um, the garage. So I've just always done this and always played a lot of instruments because I was trying to do things on my own. Then it turned into a business and people come in and like, Frank, if you wrote a song and you sang and you played guitar, well, we would lay down all your parts. We'd talk about maybe your lyrics and everything. Well, just the chords, you know, make sure you had a really good guitar track. Then I finish up according to what uh, style you like, what, you know, when we just talk about it and we develop a track. And so you're only working with me at that point and you're developing the sound that's you and the style. You're not competing with the guy saying, well, I'm going to do the lead guitar solo, and I'm going to get, put my best and fastest licks. In. I'm going to put Eddie Van Halen on a James Taylor song. Right. Yeah, you know, we have to deal with that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, and I do that every day, and i got to tell you, I love walking the studio. I, I'm five days a week working the studio, unless Greg Ken and I are out, which we are this weekend. We're uh, Michigan. Uh, it's going to be cold. Yeah. And we're uh, uh, Cincinnati, Island, somewhere. Anyway, we I'm there five days a week working with people like this, and I just have the best time. Listen, it's uh, it, it, there's 99.9 percent .9 of the musicians and, and the musical folks out there that would kill to have your career. I mean, it's uh, it's been great, and it, it seems like it's been great for a very very long time. Uh, what did you what did your folks do? Uh, you mentioned your dad having the the, the uh, 
the Vox. Uh, was he a professional yeah. musician or amateur musician? My mom sang in my dad's band in their 20s. They had a big band, sort of Frank Sinatra kind of stuff, you know, with all the saxes and everything. Uh, they traveled around before me. And my mom always liked to say, you know, I sang in the band until I was eight months pregnant. She's a very small, yeah. small woman. And she, they didn't even know I was pregnant. All of a sudden, I told them the band was so surprised, and I had to stop singing there. So I always say that, you know, I was in a band before I was even born. I was on that <laughs> stage. My mom was singing, right? And just recently, I was talking to somebody that said, you know, the ear, the bone in the ear is one of the first bones to develop. When you, and I thought, yeah. I never never knew that. I guess it's true. I've heard that, there's by the way. Fake news. Yeah, okay. <laughs> there's, there's so much fake news going on. I don't want to spread <laughs> any more. But that would really be something. Because people say, well, how'd you get into music? I said, I was sentenced to music. Yeah. There's nothing else I could do. And <laughs> that sounds bad, but I mean, in a That's good great. way. I mean, I came out and it was music, you know. I saw the big band practicing in the, in the living room. Probably in the the baby stroller and stuff. I mean, I'm yeah. such a nut for it. That's like when Pro Tools came along and I put that that room back there. I I just walk in between sessions. Hey, Johnny, how's it going? He'd be working away, and the knowledge that I would get in two minutes just watching him would stick with me. And I don't know, you know about us guys. You know, us guys, if we like something, we'll remember it. If we don't like it, eh, we kind of, you know. The wife will say, I told you that. Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot. You know, but if we like it, <laughs> we remember everything. And that was me and Pro Tools and everything recording-wise and playing-wise. I just I love it. I can't help it. You're hearing the, the voice of Robert Berry, just a, a just an incredible career going, still going strong, and a lot behind him, a lot currently, and, and certainly a lot in the future. Uh, Robert Berry is a, a, a multi-instrumentalist uh, and, and, of course, playing with uh, Greg Kinn, now, but you know his work with uh, Keith Emerson, the late great uh, Keith Emerson, and uh, Carl Palmer and Three, and and Hush, the band Hush, uh, uh, San Francisco band, bass band, right? It was uh, yeah, uh, kind yeah. of a, a first big big attention there. Uh, but uh, listen, uh, Frank McKay here with uh, with Robert Berry, thrilled to have him for the first time on on the show. the The fact that your folks played in a big band. I, you know, I have to believe, and again, you know, I don't want to, you know, sound like an amateur psychiatrist here or a psychologist, but the, all those instruments around you and, and everything that goes along with it, a lot of great musicianship coming, but well-rounded stuff coming also right in front of you. And, you know, it had to have uh, an unbelievable educational um, effect on you just because there were so many different players and so many different musicians and, and uh, you know, I guess different taste coming out of those people. But did you ever think of that? The idea that the, uh, how, what an effect the big band folks around you must've had on you. It's a lot of instruments. You know, it, it, that, that's really a good observation. I always like to say, I'm the luckiest guy you never heard of. Right. Yeah. And then some people say, well, aren't you upset that you never made it? Never made it. Well, I had a top 10 record with Keith Emerson. Well, it, and it's certainly nobody, nobody, I'm not a household name like Sammy Hagar. Right. You're jazz I famous. I did have a top 10 You're record. Famous. You know, I played with the, uh, with Sammy, with Ambrosia, with Keith and Carl. Um, my success not being the Sammy Hagar of the band, let's say, the guy who's everybody remembers her name, 
has kept me kind of hungry to keep succeeding in the way I do because I, I haven't landed at the, oh, I guess you Sam as, as an example, at the Sammy Hager status where you can't even get in an elevator. Or, oh, Sammy Hager got autograph, all that stuff. That's not me. But I've stayed viable and I've stayed creative. And honestly, it's kind of been a blessing because after the 30 years since I started with Steve Howe and GTRs, 30 years later, I'm still striving for the, with the golden ring, whatever they say, you know, yeah. the, the brass my, ring. I call, it, I call it my sergeant. Yeah, the brass ring. I call it my sergeant peppers. I, and for me, I'll never hit it because I'm always saying, what can I do tomorrow? It doesn't matter what success or how good things are going, who I'm working with. What am I going to do tomorrow? How am I going to keep this going? Because it's fun for me. And uh, I feel like I still have something to say. Well, tremendous. You know, when, when you just said that, you know, about, uh, about not making it, every musician that, <laughs> that's, that, that's listening to you right now, it, it just went like a pit, you know, pit in their stomach. <laughs> I, I mean, your career is, you've had an unbelievable career. You're very, you're very modest about it and it's still going strong. I, it, you know, and it and made me think of something. You know, I've had Stanley uh, Clark on a couple of times and Lenny White, you know, uh, guys nice. from Return to Forever. And, you know, I had uh, Stanley uh, Clark on, and I don't know if he used the expression or if it just came up during one of the interviews, but we use the expression jazz famous. And and the thing is, like, everybody knows, you know, the musicians know Stanley Clark's name. But, you know, he could go yeah. walking into a, into a 7-Eleven in, in Philly in his hometown uh, or anyway, New York City, and he, you know he can go right by the music stores, and and he could just he could have a life, and he doesn't have yeah. to worry about what Sammy Hagar worries about, or what the you know the the Kardashian worries about, or you know <laughs> any of these yeah. these folks. But it, there's a there's a such thing as being jazz famous. But what you have is you have the credibility of the musician. Uh, you know the critics, you know, love you too. You've gotten you've gotten great. Uh, approval over the years on all your all your projects but uh, you know also the the, the fans i mean you may, may never have had that huge you know that um you know uh, what's uh, what's sammy hagar's big album or, or the big van halen we'll call, one. i like that yeah call it the kardashian yeah <laughs> never had the kardashian the, the kardashia i call it kardashia that's that yeah, whole world <laughs> that's that's famous for being famous those type of folks but i, I mean do you re does does that type of thing uh, creep into your mind. I mean, do do people remind you of that? That uh, you know, because there's different um, values and success. I mean, you you know, you've had you know an unbelievable career. It's still going strong. I, it, do you have to be famous to be successful? Yeah. No, actually, uh, I'm really lucky. I mean, I worked with some guys in a lot of big bands that maybe don't even own their home. Yeah. You know, they were huge. They were famous, really famous. And uh, I've worked with other guys. I always bring up Sammy's name because he's such a dynamo. Sammy not only owns his own home and five other homes, but, you know, he had the couple of tequila. But here's a guy that's on all the time, and you meet him, you go, man, this guy jumps out of bed, and he's tick-tocking until he goes to bed. He is yeah. really something. It, you know, you have to have that, that energy and... Um, the personality and a lot of musicians, you know, we, we sort of sit back, we creative types and we don't want to really talk to people too much and we want to do our music. But I'm, I'm kind of halfway in the middle of that because I love playing on stage. I love performing, entertaining people, but I love the studio where 
I can sit by myself, as I did with the 3.2, the, the album that I was working on with Keith Emerson. I was sat in the dark, basically, for a year after he died, finishing it up. I mean, I wasn't happy with what happened, but me personally, I was in my element, and I don't mind being alone and being creative just for creative sake. I have so many things that I've recorded, I've written that people have never heard. And that, that's okay, I'm, because I love the process. I love writing songs. I love singing, playing, everything. It, it, my career is kind of like that because I, my gift really was that I always have ideas. And I spent my time, eight years of classical piano, two years of jazz, majored in music in college. I spent my time getting my foundation super strong, but also in the band Hush, you know, a few other bands early on that were good bands and played a lot and toured. And um, I got that street experience too, that I'm well-rounded and still always have ideas. And that's what connects me with whatever musicians I wind up with. I'm, I'm, I can't even, it's hard for me to explain because I've been so lucky. I look back at it and I, how did that happen? <laughs> how did I work with all these people? How am I still blessed to be able to, do what I love to do and have a tour coming up in October um, with this new band of mine, which is going to play my 30 year history. And I don't know how it happens, but it just, I don't, maybe you can explain it to me. (laughs) I I mean, I think I, I think I can. I mean, to me as an outsider and this first time we're talking, I mean, it's, there's a ton of talent. Uh, you know, I know, you know, quite a bit about your career. We've never met, we've never talked, but I got, you know, yep. I've, I've purchased stuff that you, that you have. I got hush stuff and, uh, 3.2. I, oh. you know, I, you know, I have a lot of your stuff, I, but the thing is that you're good and you must be decent to work with because all these top names are, are, are looking to work with you. And, uh, you know, and it, whether they, um, you know, whether it's a, you know, a guy like, you know, the late uh, Keith Emerson or Greg Kinn. I, I mean, these are, these are pros. I mean, these are, these are top notch uh, guys. And I think you guys it, it gravitate towards each other. And there's a whole bunch of for Greg Howe is like that. I think, you know, the guitarist, uh, Greg Howe, he, yeah. he's constantly working and uh, you know, a guy like, um, you know, trying to think of uh, some of the, Lenny White, you know, Lenny White in the, in the jazz field or the fusion field. I mean, yeah. he's constantly, they're constantly working. And, you know, once you get to a certain point, I don't want to say it goes on autopilot, but I mean, you, you probably, you, you probably couldn't get out of this if you wanted to. <laughs> I need a parachute. I yeah. I'd have to jump. <laughs> well, listen, you know, keep, uh, keep your thought, you. keep your thought one second. We're yeah. coming, we're coming up on a quick break. Do we have you for a second segment? Oh yeah, I'm ready. All right. Well, l- let me ask you to give us a uh, quickly give us a website and social media site where people could follow along with you and uh, and if they're not driving to to check you out as we're we're speaking, g- give us a quick website or a social media site. Okay, you know if you go to robertberry.com, which is really the easiest place to go, everything's there. You can get all kinds of you know reviews from all over the world on the new 3.2 album. Um, I actually have a contest going on to give away a Geiger print that he had hand-signed on the Brain Salad Surgery album cover. It's just great that I'm just giving it away. Yeah. I'm so thankful for what's happened to me. So go to robberry.com, and, you know, if you want to order the vinyl of 3.2, I just got those in. 
I'm actually doing that myself. It was so important for me to do it right. I handled everything. I got the rights back from the record company. You'll find everything at therobbery.com. Listen, uh, everyone go there and and, uh, check out Robert Berry. He's our very special guest. We're going to take a quick break. Frank McKay here with a wonderful musician, guitarist, and and producer, and songwriter. Uh, You know his work from uh, recently, uh, Greg Kinn, Hush, of course, uh, 3.2 with uh, the late, great Keith Emerson and Paul Palmer. Frank McKay uh, signing off for a moment. We'll be back with more from Robert Berry. Breaking it down with Frank McKay. This is 1039 LI News Radio. I'd like to welcome everyone back to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here, much more importantly, a wonderful musician. And you know his work from uh, everything from Hush to Greg Kinn, uh, GTR, of course, with uh, uh, Greg, uh, with uh, Steve Howe over there, and uh, the, the work that he did with the uh, late, great Keith Emerson. Uh, Carl Palmer. He's worked with everybody that you could imagine. Uh, we touched on a, a little bit of uh, Sammy Hagar and, and so much more, but producer, guitarist, musician, um, uh, Robert Berry is our very special guest. Welcome back, Robert. Right. It's good to be here, Frank. Thank you. I, you know, I, I mentioned Steve Howe, and you started telling me off mic a little something about uh, GTR. Uh, give, us, give me the GTR story, if you would. You know, Carl Palmer actually called me right here in Silicon Valley, where I told you I lived and I was raised, on my studio phone. I thought it was a joke. And he said, no, I just got your cassette tape from John Claudner and Geffen. I like it. I want to start a new band. Or we're thinking about John Wetton is having problems. You know, in Asia, we might keep Asia going. And we, we like your voice. So we tried to start a band for a year, and it didn't work out. I was living in England then. And... Steve Howe needed somebody to replace Steve Hackett from Genesis in his band GTR. So I was still a guy that had, you know, regional success. We toured with the band Hush, but not on a world scale. So I'm invited to Steve Howe's house. And, you know, I was, my band Hush had changed styles a couple times, even trying to keep that record contract, trying to get well-known, trying to, you know, make a good career out of it. It just didn't work. And it was interesting that I met Steve. He was a lovely guy. Met his family. He gave me a cassette tape again of a song called You Only Have Yourself to Blame. And he said, you know, take this home. Can you see what you think of it? And I took it home and I thought, you know, the guy I just met would not say you have yourself to blame, basically. He would say, I'll take the blame. Let's fix this. You know, he was really just a sweet guy. So for some reason, right at that point in my life, I said, I really want to be in this band with Steve Howe, one of my guitar idols. I was a huge Yes fan. I said, but if I fake it, if I try to switch course like I did in Hush, being a progressive band, switching to being like a straight rock band, which didn't work, if I do that and don't do it for real, I don't think I'll have anything. So I'm going to take that song of Steve's, and I'm going to do exactly what I think is right what I think would make it shine. And I was up till four or five in the morning, I mean, all night. Cause I was going to go back and see him the next day. And I got it all. I changed the lyrics, chords. I put more of what I consider Steve Howe guitar stuff into it. Changed the melody. I did everything. And I took it back to his house, sheet of paper. I said, Steve, I can't really play this to you and sing it. A little too complicated. 
well, let's record it on my A-track here up in his guitar room. So I put the guitar down. I had to play a guitar in front of Steve Howe. I'm going, hey, God, you know. And, <laughs> okay. So I put the rough, I said, I'm just going to do it rough. Don't worry about my stakes. It's real rough. Then I sang it, and he sat there. Didn't say a word. He let me do my thing, which I had done exactly the way that I thought it should be, not considering anybody else. Here's what I would give you, what I would bring you. Here's what I'm sharing. And at the same time, Steve and I had talked enough for him to know that I was a good partner. You know, I was a good, I don't know, toss him back and forth. I, I wasn't completely stuck on, hey, that's what I want to do. Forget your idea. I could you know, work with a guy and we could do something together. So I played this. I sat back and waited for him to say something. He just sat there. I thought, oh, God, I just blew my big chance. He looked at me and he said, no one has done that to one of my songs since John Anderson in Yes. Wow. And he, it just gives me chill still think about it. He said, that is tremendous. And right then, my whole focus on things changed. Even though I was doing it the way that I just had to give him my best work. It wasn't a theory to me. It was just something at that point in time in my life that I was going to try. And also I realized, you know, if you give someone exactly who you are and you're honest, you're real, then, of course, you have to be, you know, calm enough that they don't like it to say, okay, well, let's do this, let's do that, and negotiate a little bit, you know, and, and give and take and, and be a good songwriting partner or, or any kind of partner. Um, if you do it for real, then you have a friend or a business, a partner or whatever for life. If you fake it, even if it works, let's say I would have messed that song up to be exactly like a yes song. Oh, good. Well, you can't fake it the rest of your life. You have to be honest. And then it's you. It's the real you. And I, I learned that then. For some reason, I guess it was just the right time in my life to say, you know, I have a lot of experience, a lot of lessons, a lot of streets, the credibility, all kinds of things that I can bring to uh, a band or a songwriter or production or whatever. And I need to give people those ideas and those things without it, it, any uh, apologies until they don't like it. And then we rework it, you know, and just to be real. And it served me through my whole life with everybody I worked through. Um, it was Greg Ken, who you've talked to. That new album from last year, not that new now. But, you know, the year old, Rekindled, is exactly that. Greg and I co-wrote the whole thing. Uh, we worked side by side. I said, Greg, I think, usually what I'd say, well, that doesn't sound like Greg Ken, because I wanted to make a real Greg Ken album, you know. He'd go, what? I said, hey, you're singing like, uh, I don't know, yeah. Al Pacino, you know. <laughs> I said, you don't sound like Greg. Oh, and he'd clean it up, or we'd be writing a song. I said, well, you know. That's fine for a folk tune or whatever. That's not the great kin that I think the audience knows. Jeopardy and break up and some of the rock and stuff. Oh, you know. And I'd always give him my best work, of course, according to what I thought we needed to be together, which I'm playing the great kin band. It needs to be a great kin album. So, and we work so well together. We're best of friends. Robert Berry is the voice that you're hearing, and you know his work from GTR and. Uh, and Hush and the Greg Kin Band and so much, uh, tons and tons of work. Um, a, a mile long is his resume. And, and again, Robert Berry, you know his work from uh, his work with uh, 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 Keith Emerson, the late, great Keith Emerson and, and 
Carl Palmer. Uh, Frank McKay here with Robert Berry. Uh, you're there, Robert, right? Yeah, I'm there. Yeah, we you. lost you for, for a split second. But you, if, if you can, continue, because I think you're making a great point here, and you made a great point. I, you, you know, you're not... Uh, you, you know, you're not an actor, right? You're a musician. You're you're not supposed to be playing somebody else. You're supposed to be playing, uh, playing you, and then bringing uh, to that situation uh, the best of you or the best that you can do. I, I don't know. It's it's a very, you know, in some ways, uh, there's a lot of talented guys who just uh, who who can't dial it back, and and those are the guys yeah. that, that never get to work with anyone. Uh, you could dial it back. You you, you mentioned somebody trying to play a, an Eddie Van Halen solo over a James Taylor song. And, and <laughs> yeah. you know, you've, you've noticed that. I, how long did it take you to, to get that? Were you naturally like that as a, as a kid or did you, you know, did you ever feel like, uh, you know, boy, this is my opportunity. I want to show people how good I am. Uh, and there would be that tendency to overplay uh, it, which which was it with you? Did you did you have that naturally where you just played to the song, um, or did you ever overplay and just kind of had to train yourself not to? You know, when I was twelve years old, some guys in my dad music store. They were seventeen and eighteen years old. They were seniors in high school, and I was in eighth grade. And they wanted me to be in their banks. They, their brother said, "Oh, I have a keyboard player friend that plays piano in my class." What they really wanted was free equipment from my dad's music <laughs> store. I know that now. But at the time, you know, we all thought, oh, gee. My dad said, you want to be in a band? I said, I don't know. I'd only played classical piano and jazz. Well, actually, no jazz lessons even at that point. Just classical. That was my eighth year. I started when I was six. And I, uh, well, that doesn't add up. Uh, yeah. So it was my, yeah, my sixth year <laughs> at that point. <laughs> um, I got in the band and barely could play. And we did a recording and went down to a studio called Tiki in San Jose. They wanted to put a record. I'm 12 years old. They decided to put out their first record. And right in the middle of it, the engineer comes out, Grady O'Neill, still a friend of mine. I actually worked in the studio for 10 years in college. It was such a fantastic way to be raised in the studio. And he says, you know, we need a little break there. Do something on the, that organ, that Vox organ there. I'm like, huh? Yeah, just do something. I mean, and I, so I went, like that he goes that's perfect let's put that in there and I went, well that was easy you know and i had never made up a song apart nothing that um was going to go on a record before and it was really something it sort of i went wow that, that's no big deal to do that it just needs the right part to not to be hard so right there i'm thinking well wait a minute it, i like this recording stuff and then i started thinking about every record that I had at the time and how nothing was really hard. You know, I, a friend of mine said, Oh, Jerry Garcia, Grateful Dead, best, you know, as a freshman, best guitar player ever. And I thought, and I listened to it and I go, gee, that's not hard. So I learned the part and I played it for him. He went, it was cold rain and snow. snow. I still remember the song. He goes, you can play that. Oh my God. It was really easy. Yeah. The guys that were pros, unless you're into the jazz fusion and then some of the stuff, some of the super, hard metal, progressive music, whatever it is, it's really, really hard, and not that many of those are around. Um, most music isn't based on how hard it is. It's based on the heart and soul, the lyric content, if it connects with you, a guitar hook that's easy to remember, maybe even roundabout, you know, look at that guitar hook. 
down, 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 down. You know, I mean, it's just not hard. And that struck me early on that it was the right part, not the most complicated part. So I never really had that problem with trying to show my best chops, especially since I was started out copying Beatles songs in my mom and dad's garage, trying to figure that out. Those were pretty easy. Hard to do all the parts and get the sounds. I don't think I ever got it right because I had a four track and a lot of times, of course, I didn't have the right guitar and the right bass and stuff until years later when I started collecting all that stuff. But Yeah, I, I, I hope I answered the question. It's yeah. a good question because it's true. I get that in the studio a lot. Someone say, oh, that's great. I mean, the way your song came out so good. I want to bring my, my friend in to do the lead guitar. He's really good. And I say, well, you can do that if you want, but if the guy doesn't have studio experience, he's going to be playing all over the place, and this is not going to sound the way it does now. It's going to be a guitar frenzy, you know? And sure enough, almost everybody they bring in that's not a pro um, doesn't get that little fine piece that you got to play what's right, not what's your best work, you know? Uh, your I best know. work is what's right, not your fast stuff or your most creative and stuff. It's got to fit. I mean, I think that's as, as good an answer as I've got on a question like that. Uh, I mean, that's, I, <laughs> I, I think you nailed it on the head. Robert Berry, again, is the voice that you're hearing. Frank McKay here uh, with a wonderful musician. And again, you, you, if you've been listening, you, you know that he's worked with the, uh, all the top people. In, uh, in in the music world and top musicians, you know, Steve Howe and GTR and um, the late uh, Keith Emerson, Carl Palmer, and, uh, you know, Greg Kinn, uh, currently working with Greg Kinn and uh, co-wrote the last album. Uh, just, uh, just a well-rounded career that you've been having. And just, and again, I, you know, I go back in my mind, I, I, what's standing out to me is the big band upbringing and it makes a lot of sense me kind of knowing about your career a bit from from afar um the the big band makes sense and uh and and it just makes yeah. sense as a uh, as a good starting uh starting point you know to uh you know to point kids in and, and again you know i'm not saying boy you know try to turn your kids on to big band music or whatever but the fact that it was it was happenstance and your folks were were playing in big band uh you know it, it had to have this this huge effect and i i I have a hard time arguing against that. Again, Frank McKay here with Robert Berry. Uh, let's talk about uh, uh, currently. What's your what's your latest project? What's going on uh, right now? What's most on your mind right now? Well, this three point two album, "The Rules Have Changed," is Keith Emerson's last ever work. We were working together on this album. Had about three months into it, and he died. And uh, it was very hard on me because you know I had a I said, let me go back. In 1988, Keith Emerson, Carl Palmer, and myself uh, had a top 10 song called Talking About. We toured. It was very successful um, in an Asia kind of way. We got a lot of new fans, a lot of younger people coming. But the old ELP fans were not happy that Keith Emerson was doing more rock songs, pop rock, whatever you want to call it, straighter songs. But the Asia fans, where Carl was in Asia, didn't mind. Carl never got criticized. Keith got criticized by really just a couple of the ELP fans that felt they needed to write him letters. And he was susceptible to that kind of thing. And he didn't want to do it uh, 1989 after a year. And, you know, top 10 record. And we actually made a lot of money and had a successful tour. Everything was so good with it. 
Um, he said, I, I, my fans think that I'm ruining my career by changing from ELP. And I said, okay, so we broke up the band. But 27 years later, a record company put out a live album of three from back from 1988 tour. And that album, Keith signed off on, I signed off, Carl signed off. But for Keith, it was a paycheck. Well, be money in the bank. Yeah, put it out. Go ahead. He never wanted to think about three again. The album came to his doorstep. He put the CD on one night, when right when I got there, and he called me so excited. He goes, Robert, we were such a good band. I said, what? He goes, we were really a great band. He goes, I'm listening to the CD. I, he said, I had no idea. You know, I really had left it behind. Those couple people, one wrote him a letter saying, how dare you have female background singers? You should have Greg Lake back. Who's this Robert Berry guy? Um, it, he took all that to heart, and it, his mind and it stayed there until 27 years later. Then he went, oh, that was a mistake. I said, well, Keith, why don't we do the follow-up now? And he said, well, maybe. I said, let me call a record company. It's been bugging me for 10 years. They really want the second three albums. I called Frontiers Records in Italy. They wanted it. I told Keith, he goes, wow, you know, he goes, I don't didn't think anybody's really interested anymore. He's sort of struggling with his career. And so these guys are interested. I'm going to get this much money. He says, really, who has that kind of money? I said, well, I'll get back to you. Call the record company. I said, this is what we want. Here's what Keith wants to do it. And before that came out of my mouth, I put another $10,000 on top of it. I don't know why, but I think because Keith was not feeling great about his career, um, things were a little bit stagnant. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to prove to him that people really want him and he's valuable. So they said, we're good. Let's do it. So I called Keith back and I said, Hey, I got you this amount of money. He goes, you're kidding me. Who has that kind of money? Frontiers does. He goes, yeah, nobody cares anymore. These guys care. And we started working. And we had the greatest time working on it. A lot of it was just like you and me are talking right now. You know, if, if you were a piano player and had your piano in front of you, and I had mine in front of me, which I do at the studio, right there at my Pro Tools, sort of talk. We could use FaceTime and see each other. It'd be like being in the same room. And we wrote a lot like that. And it was my job to assemble these pieces and these songs and this plan that we made um, of how we want an album to be. And we had five songs ready to go, written. I had about 20% of his parts done when he died. And uh, I wasn't going to finish the album. I was really heartbroken. I'd waited 27 years. It was important to me. But I knew not to push Keith. And here we were doing it, and then he's gone. It took me about six months to get back into it again. And um, I'm a very happy, positive guy. Nothing gets me down in a big way. I would never be depressed. But I was very sad, and I was very... Uh, I was struggling with the fact that the top 10 hit that three had, which I wrote, I would never be able to play the stage with Keith Emerson ever again. Uh, I lost my friend of 27 years that I had, a, I mean, really kickstarted my career into so many things and qualified my career. Cause people would say, you play the Keith Emerson, you must be good. That guy's a monster. That worked in so many ways throughout my life, you know, that I played with Keith Emerson, they thought, well, you must really be able to play to be able to play that guy. And there were so many things that left that day. And the most important one, of course, was he was just a wonderful guy, sweet guy, the best there ever was. 
so dedicated to music, but also a fun guy. He always had a joke and something he did, you know, something to talk about. And all that went along with my dream of doing that follow-up album. Yeah. So six months later, I, I talked to his son. Hey, Aaron, why don't you, you want to play on it with me? Maybe we could finish this. Aaron is excited. I sent Aaron a song. The first song on the album is called One by One. It has an extremely hard piano intro on it. And Aaron said, oh, that's my dad. I can't play like my dad plays. So he chose not to do it, but it rekindled my spirit kind of to get it and finish it. And I took him the next year working on it to finish it. And uh, it's out now. And I'm glad I did it. I, I wasn't going to release it, but the record company, a few friends said, you got to put this out. you got to really put it out. My God, it's not even... It's not even up for question. Anybody that questions that is crazy. You got to you got to put that out. Uh, Robert Berry, I want to thank you very much for being here. Uh, one last time, uh, uh, give us a website and where people can you know buy the record and uh, uh, and follow along with you. But um, we're, we're just about out of time. Can you uh, give us a quick website? Okay. Yeah, robertberry dot com and it's B E R R Y, and you'll find everything there. Amazon, well, Amazon sold out for the second time on the album. That's the easiest place to get it. But I always try to encourage people to go to their mom pa, I call it local little record store, some guy that's a nut for, for albums and CDs and stuff, physical item, like I am for music, and see if they have it. A lot of times they will. They can order it and support those guys because um, they're doing their art too. They're, they're big into music, but they like to provide that physical uh, copy of things, which a lot of people, and especially in the kind of music I'm doing, like to have that. And they have a 20 page booklet with it. So it's, it's worth reading the whole story. Oh, listen, uh, thanks thanks a million for being here. Thrilled to finally have you. Uh, Robert Berry, uh, if you're just joining us, has been our very special guest. Robert, thank you very much. Thank you, Frank. And I will see you when we come through the town with uh, the 3.2 or We'll meet in person. Oh, listen, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, and I'll be there. Uh, everyone, thank you for tuning in. Robert Berry has been our very special guest. And you know his work from GTR. 3.2 is what you should be looking out for now. He's just a, a virtuoso a guitarist. He's a, he's a bassist. He's a multi-instrumentalist. Um, you know his work from Greg Kinn and Hush and uh, so many other projects. Uh, his work is uh, featured on 3.2 is uh, the, the, the late, great Keith Emerson. And, uh, of course, Carl Palmer on there as well. Frank McKay signing off. Robert Perry has been our very special guest. We'll see you next time.